Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Fanae Power. Welcome to you all, and um, this morning I want to share a subject with you uh, which is entitled, A Little Heaven Upon Earth. Will you pray with me? Father God in heaven, we come to you, Father, this morning. We ask, Lord, that the Holy Spirit may reside in this place. We know, Father, that there may have been someone who has come here this morning broken. We ask, Lord, that they may leave home. We know that people may have come here this morning troubled. We pray that, you, that they may leave knowing that the Prince of Peace has spoken peace in their life. I thank you, Father, for this opportunity to speak, and I just ask, Lord, that you may use me. Hide me behind the cross, and may, be, may Jesus be seen, be heard, and known. We thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayer, for we ask all these things in Jesus' precious and most holy name. Amen. Uh, this week, I, was, uh, I, was, I went to a funeral of one of my best friends. He's like a brother to me. Um, his father passed away. And so um, this guy, I used to play football with him. And I used to play with him. I used to play against him. And uh, I, I knew his father very well. And um, so I went to the funeral. Um, and after we, we, God called us out of that, we eventually came into ministry. We started doing witnessing together. Um, and uh, when I went to the funeral, what really um, captivated me, what arrested my attention, was that whenever you go to a funeral, you know when they have the life sketch, you know, the eulogy, they talk about, you know, where they were born, what they did, their occupation. Uh, what stood out for me was how he, he died. And I, I'll share a bit with you, and then I will go into our subject, is that when um, he, he passed away on a Sabbath, and on that particular Sabbath, he was given the privilege to speak on the Sabbath. So he preached, and he preached about the second coming of Jesus. He preached about how the church should get off the milk and onto the meat of the prophecies of God's word. He talked about the land flowing with milk and honey. Remember, this is his last day to live, but he didn't know it. He preached. After he preached, he went with his daughter to another church to sing. And the song that he sung at that church, um, it was called Thank You, Lord. Um, I don't know whether I should break off in song. I think I should. Okay. So it, it, goes, along, it goes like this. It goes, um, there's a roof up above me. I've got a good place to sleep. Food on my table and shoes on my feet. You gave me your love, Lord, and a kind family. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. And it was as he was singing that song that he did not know that that was his last song that he would sing. And when I was sitting down and listening to this eulogy of how he went out, it really struck me because I was like, wow. He went, he died singing praises to the Lord. Um, and I would like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 4. Because as I was listening to this, um, it dawned upon me that each and every one of us 
And this struck me like lightning this week as well, that one day, you and I, we're mortals, we are subject to death, we will die one day. But the question is, how will you go out of this world? Will you die in the Lord or out? In James chapter 4, this is the verse that came to my mind as I was listening to this eulogy. In James chapter 4 and verse 14, and if you don't have a Bible, someone next to you, please... uh, yeah, read along with them. James chapter 4 is in the, the New Testament after the book of Hebrews. The book of James after the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. James chapter 4 and verse 14. James chapter 4 and verse 14. And the Bible says there, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for the Bible says what is your, your life. And it says it is even a... A vapor, the Greek word there is breath. It is even a, it is even a vapor that appears for a little time, but then the Bible says it vanishes away. And so as I was listening to this, I was like, man, this brother did not know that that Sabbath, that that was going to be the last time he preached. He did not know that that would be the last time that he sung. And it dawned upon me, if if that is the case, if our life is just a vapor, if it just appears for a time and vanishes away, how many of us have people in our lives that we should say, I love you too? And when I I recognize that, I tell you the truth. After that funeral, I went to my parents' place, because it was like 15 minutes away, and I went and visited my mom and my dad, and I just appreciated them. And I said, I love you to my mom and my dad. And they're here today, and I'm always thankful to have them as well. And so I, I just want to encourage you that if, if there's someone in your life that you need to say, I love you too, don't wait for to tomorrow, do it today. If there's someone in your life that you need to forgive, forgive them today. Don't wait till tomorrow. And so James chapter 4, it really reminded me of just the fragility of life, the brevity of life. Um, and so those who have parents who are still alive, you're very blessed. Um, for those who have lost loved ones, Um, you know, the Bible gives us so much hope, so much encouragement as well. And whenever you go to funerals, there's always four emphases that you find when you go to a funeral. It's often, it's the state of the dead. Where did they go? The second is the resurrection of Jesus. And you remember Paul, he says in 1 Corinthians 15 that, you know, our preaching is in vain, our faith is in vain if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. That if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we of most people will be the most miserable. And um, the third one is the second coming of Jesus, but then the fourth is heaven. And when you think of heaven, some people think heaven is uh, like a, a location on earth, you know, it may be somewhere in Italy or in Greece. You know, they say, oh, this is heaven. Uh, just last night, one of our care group members, I won't uh, mention their name, they were eating one of our, what is it, falafel? <laughs> and I said, man, this is heaven. And it, it just dawned upon me. I was like, man, what is, what is heaven? And our subject this morning is about a little heaven upon earth. And um, I find the song that, yeah, they sung was very relevant to our sermon as well. But um, I, I want to begin with a quotation which is from one of my favorite Christian authors. Um, They say that home should be all that the word implies, a little heaven upon earth. Okay, I'll say that again just so that you, it, it, it sinks in your mind. Home should be all that the word implies, a little heaven upon earth. 
But the question is, where is that in the Bible? Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. And what I, sh- what I want to share with you this morning, um, it, for some of us, we may already know, um, but for some of us, we may not. But in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 11, our title is A Little Heaven Upon Earth. And I want you to notice where this is in the Bible, in Deuteronomy chapter 11. And we'll be reading in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 18. Okay, Deuteronomy is the fourth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, sorry, fifth. Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. So if you're turning in your Bibles, which I would like to encourage you to do, I know sometimes the, the Bible comes on the screen, and which, which is good and convenient, but I want you to get into the habit of actually turning your Bibles, um, because sometimes I find that as God's people, we're becoming illiterate in where the, Bibles are, uh, where the books of the Bible are found. Um, and so I want to encourage you, turn in your Bibles. If you have a phone, that's fine as well. But uh, please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11, Deuteronomy chapter 11, and we'll read from verse 18. And when you get there, you could say amen. Okay, cool. Everyone looks very serious, like, (laughs) you can smile, you can smile, you can smile. Deuteronomy chapter 11, our title, A Little Heaven Upon Earth. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, you find that Moses is speaking to the children of Israel, and he's telling them to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And in Deuteronomy 11 verse 18, I want you to notice what it says there. It says, therefore, so as a result, shall you lay up these my words, where? In your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. I want you to notice that God's, God wants his word not just to be in our thoughts and in our hearts, but even in our actions. I meet so many people, they say, that person knows so much, but he does so little. Do you know what I mean? The the actions should be indicative of what is already happening in your heart, okay? The The words should be in our hearts, in our minds, and we'll come to find out what those words are very soon. But you notice that it says in verse 19, and you shall teach them to your children. So who is he speaking to? Parents. Very good. So because you're teaching your children, right? It would be your parents that are going to be teaching. What are they teaching? The words which they laid in their, in their heart. Do you follow so far? Okay, very good. And so it says, And you shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Have you seen this verse anywhere else in the Bible before? You can talk with me. Anyone? Deuteronomy chapter 6. Okay, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if you didn't know, this is for many of, uh, for Jewish people, for those who are part of Judaism, they call this the Shema. Is that right, Tristan? Shema. Okay, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, in, in Hebrew is Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You see that in Deuteronomy 6, right? If you come to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, this is what they call the Shema for the Jews. It's like their, their motto is what they live by, the monotheistic God, okay? In, in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with how many of your heart? All your heart and with how many of your soul? All your soul and with all your might. And verse 6, and these words, once again, the words come up again. What words is it referring to? Does anyone know what words are being referred to? Okay. Anyone else? This is good. Dialogue. These words. Teaching. 
Okay, does anyone know what Deuteronomy means? Law, okay. Um, there's two Greek words, deutero, which means second, and then nomos in Greek, which means second law. You following me? We're doing Bible study, is that okay? So Deuteronomy is second law. So that means that in the book of Deuteronomy, the law is given the second time. It wasn't because the first law was abrogated or that there was something wrong with the first law. Okay? The first time the law is codified is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 to 17. Yeah? The Ten Commandments. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, do you know that the law was given again? Does anyone know where that's found? Very good. Thank you. Thank you. So in Deuteronomy chapter 5, if you turn back, you see from verse 7 all the way to verse 21, the law of God was given the second time. And someone may be asking, well, why was it given the second time? What was wrong with the first one? Remember in history, the children of Israel, that when the 12 spies were sent to Jericho, when they came back, they believed the 10 spies, which had a false report, rather than the two. Do you remember that? Okay, and it's still the same today. People believe falsehood more than the truth, yeah? Even though the minority is the truth, just two people, when it's the majority, they believe falsehood rather than the truth. And so what happened was they, they, they went in the wilderness for 40 years. The, the book of Deuteronomy takes place in the 40th year on the first day of the 11th month. You find that in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 3, okay? So then the 40th year, down the east side of Jordan, I'm, 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 I'm developing like, um, like a foundation, okay? Please don't, uh, don't fall asleep just yet. Just follow me. <laughs> I don't want you to, to miss what I'm going to say, okay? They, 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 are, they are crossing over the Jordan. There's a Jordan River. They're on the east side of the Jordan. They're going to cross over. It's in the 40th year, the 11th month. The first day of the 11th month. You find that in Deuteronomy 1 verse 3. Okay? And so when Moses tells them that these words, which I command you this day, shall be in your heart, he was referring to the, very good, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were to be in your heart. And then the verse 7 says, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. When I read this, I was like, man, wouldn't that be just so like annoying? You know, you're, li- you're lying down and your parents come to you, thou shalt have no other gods before you. And then, you know, when you rise up, it's like, thou shalt have no other gods before you. I-, I was thinking of it that way, right? And you're eating and you're eating falafel and you're like, thou shalt have no other gods. That's what I was thinking, right? But then actually, when I, when I studied the word, I, I, it, it was much deeper than that. You know, the law of God is the transcript of God's character. Now, if you don't know what that means, what that means is everything that the law is, God is. For example, you don't have to turn there, you can just write it down. In Romans chapter 7, verse 12, the Bible says, For the law is holy, and the commandment holy, just, and good. That's what the law, the, the commandments is, is holy, just, and good. Now, is God holy? Yes, 1 Peter 1.16, it says, Be therefore holy, for God says, I am holy, okay? Is God just? Yes, how do we know? 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is God good? All the time. <laughs> Psalms 100 verse 5, it says, For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. It's all Bible. Okay, so everything that the law is, 
God is. So that the, the law of God is a transcript of God's character. So when I read that, what that meant to me was not so much the fact that they had to memorize those Ten Commandments. It was actually the parents teaching their children the character of God. Do you follow? Oh, please don't lose me with this. Because it's possible to recite the Ten Commandments, but, but have the devil in your heart. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? So it, it's more than just memorizing the Ten Commandments. It's actually understanding God's character and a, a, a correct view of who God is. And so that's what the, the parents were to teach their children. Not just the Ten Commandments per se, but also the character of God through them. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Remember our title, A Little Heaven Upon Earth. And one of my favorite Christian authors, which I told you, says, home should be all that the word implies, a little heaven upon earth. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 11, and we'll take it up from verse 20. So we already read verse 19. So they were to teach their children, uh, speaking of them when they sit down in their house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Okay, verse 20. It says, and you shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. I don't know if you've ever been to a home where they actually have Bible verses and the Ten Commandments up, up on, their, on, their, on their home. Um, I used to do that. I don't do that with Kyle uh, because I don't want, you know, property. It's, it's important. But I, if I had a home for myself, I'd, I'll put Bible verses everywhere. That's just the person that I am. Just put Bible verse in the restroom, put it where I'm brushing my teeth. So just constantly thinking of it. The Bible teaches that they were to teach their children, but at the same time, they were to be a visible presentation, something that they could actually see. Okay? And notice verse 21. This is where we get our title from. Is, it says, that, so as a result of all this, teaching the word of God in your heart, teaching their children, writing it upon the doorpost of their house, it says in verse 21, notice the promise. Notice the promise. That your days may be what? Multiplied or prolonged. And the days of your children. So notice the promise is, as a result of all this, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied. Put that simply, that your life may be prolonged. Okay? Does anyone want to live longer? I see it all the time. And a lot of news articles where people putting injections and trying to, you know, color their hair and all those things. If you do that, that's fine. But what I'm trying to say is, if you want to prolong your life, Bible says, hide God's word in your heart, teach them to your children. Yes? The character of God. And then it goes on to say, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them. What land is that referring to? Canaan. Very good. So question, were they in Canaan? No. So God is saying, look, that your days that your days, the parents, and the days of your children may be multiplied, prolonged, in the land which the Lord your God swore to your fathers to give them, which is Canaan. And then notice it says, like the days of heaven above the earth. Now, I looked at the Hebrew word for above, and the, best, the better translation is upon. Okay? So notice, God is telling them, as a result of all this, my desire was that when you went into Canaan land, that your life would be prolonged, your children would be prolonged, but that you would experience a little heaven upon earth. No one's following. Okay, let me say that again. When you think of heaven, oftentimes we think of heaven in the future tense. Is that right? And it is. It is in the future tense. But what the Bible teaches, and what I've learned from my research, is that heaven, oftentimes we emphasize heaven in the future tense, and we fail to recognize that God would actually have us have a foretaste of heaven on earth. Amen? Amen. 
And so when the Bible says that, you, that the days of heaven may be upon the earth, God's desire for them was to have a little bit of heaven on this earth so that it would be a foretaste for the heaven to come. It's similar like if you're, you're taking your HSC. If you're taking your HSC, you know that you have the HSC exams, but then you have the trial, right? It gives you a foretaste of what the exam is like. Same thing with this. When God looks at our homes, because that's my subject this morning, is that God wants us to have a little heaven upon earth. Okay? And so home should be made, all that the word implies, a little heaven upon earth. Hmm. So then, so then in light of that, I just want to share with you this story so that you get an understanding because as I'm not a parent, as you can see, still young, still a little chicken, but I've learned a little thing. I've learned something about, you know, families because I do a lot of door knocking. I meet a lot of people coming to their homes and, um, yeah, um, I just want to share with you some things just from, I guess, from the parent relationship to the child, but also between the husband and the wife as well. And I'm going to share this story. My mom and my dad has heard this story many times, so this is going to be something old to them, but for you, it'll be new. Uh, you remember how I told you that uh, I, used to, I had some fines? You remember that? Okay, I'm going to share a story, okay? I'm going to share a story, okay? This is BC, BC, BC. So my mom and my father, my mom and my father would always tell me, don't drive, I had my L's, my, 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 my learner's license, they would always tell me, don't drive the car. If you're going to drive the car, we must be in there, okay? So whenever they said that and they went to work, I'll get the keys and I'll put on the car and I'll go to, I used to study at UWS, study criminology and sociology there, but um, when, I, when I went there, um, whenever they went to, went to work, I just turn on the car. Yeah, I go all the way there, and, and one, one particular day, I was near George's River, and George's River, there was just one lane going straight, and one lane coming back, yeah? And I was driving, I was like, man, I fooled my parents. And when I come around the corner, I see sirens in the distance, and I was like, oh, mercy. And if you ever seen a popcorn prayer, popcorn prayer, you know, I was like, oh, please, don't let me get caught. Don't let me get caught. Uh, and so I'm driving and driving, and it's a double line, so you can't turn. And if I turn, they'll see me. So I was like, okay, Lord, please, let me get past. And the police, the RBT, they pull over the person before me, and I get out of there. And I was like, thank you, Lord. And, and this is what we often do. We're like, I won't do that again. Yeah, I won't do it again. Okay, so I didn't want to do it again, so put the car back, and, you know, my parents come back home, and they're like, hey, Peter, um, wasn't the car over there? I said, yeah, just moved it, just moved it that way. Just, just moved it that way. Remember, BC, BC, BC. So I moved the car, just go that way. So next day, same thing happened. I kept doing it. And then one particular week, they went to work. And I turned on the car, and this is one of those green Land Cruiser Islander cars, yeah? Four-wheel drive, diesel, makes a lot of noise, you know? So I turned it on, go all the way to uni. And when I get to uni, after we finish our class... I don't know if this is a boy thing, but the boys, me and the boys, uh, we we're like, they said, do you want to race? I was like, Ooh. oh, wow. And I was like, man, let's race. And I, I'm coming in my four-wheel drive, and they have like their Subaru Impreza, and you know, they have these fast cars. And I was like, man, I, I'm going to, I'll race. And so I, I turned on the car, and I started speeding, you know, and um, I was beating them at first. And then we turn onto Canterbury Road, and you know Canterbury Road is a long stretch, right? That's the time when to, to, to show off, yeah? And my friend comes out in front of me, and he puts his hand out, and he goes like this. And I was like, everything in me was like, okay, I'm going to fourth gear. 
And we, we're driving, and then all of a sudden, out of distance, this police officer comes out with this big sign, pull over. And so my friend gets pulled over, and I come all the way to the police officer, and I stop right near the police officer, right? And he, he, he directs me to the side, and I was like, I didn't speak. <laughs> and, and, and he was actually, uh, he, was, um, he was fighting with his co-officer, and he was saying, he didn't do anything wrong. And I was like, yeah, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. And so they pulled me aside, right? They pulled me aside and come into this drive-thru. And literally, whenever I go on Canterbury Road, I always see the same place. And I was like, man, I remember that. And so I get pulled over, and he comes over, and he says to me, license and registration, please. And you know, this... <laughs> Give him my L license, yeah? He give him L, and he looks at us, um, you, you, know, uh, you know that you're on your learner's license. Yeah, I know. You should be, you know, supervising. I know. So wait here. Goes and he brings the fine. Yeah, he brings the fine. He gives it to me. I look at it. It's like, $1,000? Oh. And uh, I, I turn on the car again. And he says, sir, um, no, no, no. We're taking away your license from you. You can't drive. And so I get out of the car, right? And I get into my friend's car. He got a fine as well, but I got a bigger fine, $1,000. Get in my car. I get into his car, and I'm weeping in his car. And he says, Uso, like brother in someone, Uso, why are you crying? I said, bro, is, it, is, is the fine? I said, no, no, no. I said, why are you crying? I said, oh, I'm going to get a big lightning. <laughs> and, 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 and in light of that, I just want to say that for many of us, the thing is, that was my view of my parents. They're, gonna, they're waiting like, you know, they're going to give me a hiding. And for many of us, that's our view of God. That when we do wrong, that God's waiting for a coat hanger. No, 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 no. And so what happened was, oh, thank you, bro. Love you, man. Man, Phil gave me one before. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's cool. Okay, and so um, I, when, when, we get, when I got home, I was dragging my feet. I was dragging my feet into the home, and, you know, my parents came home eventually. And, you know, the car's back on Canterbury Road, yeah? He said, Finn, where's the car? Said, um, the car is on Canterbury Road, and this is the fine. And I was just like, oh, I was waiting. I was waiting for it. I, I said this to my mom. I, I, my mom was in the room, and I was, I was waiting for the, the big hiding. And she came to me. And she hugged me, and she said, son, I will pay for it. And it was then that I recognized to a, a better extent the gospel. Is I, I understood what pardon meant. I understood what redemption was. That I didn't deserve it, but she was willing to pay for it. That we don't deserve it, but Jesus, he said, I'll pay for it. It's beautiful, brothers and sisters. You see, through that experience, my parents, they were teaching me the character of God. That's one example. That's a good experience, right? I also had uh, someone I was studying the Bible with, and I, when I was studying the Bible with them, um, whenever we studied the Bible, I found that, um, that they were reading certain texts, and they were reading to the text that which wasn't there. And as I stood with this lady studying the Bible, I understood her story more better, and she told me that from a very young age, she grew up in a home where there was domestic violence, father was always drinking, and there was just, it, was, it was havoc in the home. And she said that one day that her father glassed her. And, and, and when I recognized that, it's, it's a powerful thing. And I want, I want to get this across to you as well. Because if you've gone through trauma in your life, if you don't deal with the trauma, 
whenever you read the Bible, you'll be reading through that trauma. Do you follow? And so whenever we read the Bible, I want to just to encourage you that sometimes your experience, we impose on a text our experience. So though the text is saying something else that will encourage us, we're actually blocking it off because we haven't dealt with the trauma. And so this lady, whenever she read about our heavenly father, because her physical father treated her wrong, she saw her heavenly father just the same way. And you actually find it in the Bible. Can I share these two texts with you and then we move forward? Isaiah chapter 66, Isaiah chapter 66, verse 13. Isaiah 66, verse 13. I just want you to notice the text which, which tells us that the way in which a parent treats their children, that it formulates or it molds their view of who God is. Okay? So notice what in Isaiah, Isaiah is in the Old Testament, one of the gospel prophets, one of the major prophets in Isaiah chapter 66, and notice verse 13. Okay, you still following me? Okay, cool. Isaiah chapter 66, this is in regards to the mother. Notice what the text says, and how, uh, Isaiah is, uh, he is one of the major prophets. <laughs> yes. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 13. And notice what the Bible says. It says there, as one whom his mother comforts, so, notice God says, I will comfort you and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Do you see how the text, it, it implies the way in which a mother comforts her child, God says, look, I will comfort you. So the way in which a mother treats her child, many times, that's their view of who God is. Okay? That's just one text. Turn with me to Psalms 103. Psalms 103. And notice this is the same thing when it comes to the Father. Same thing when it comes to the Father. Psalms 103. Psalms 103. And we'll read uh, verse 10 to verse 13. 10 to verse 13. Psalms 103, verse 10 to 13. Psalms, book of Psalms. When you get there, you can say amen. Psalms is just, uh, just before Proverbs. Melody. Just before Proverbs, that's okay. No worries, no worries. Psalms 103, it's good that we, we study the Bible together, yeah? Yeah, so Psalms 103, verse 10 to 13, it says, notice, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so are his ways higher than our, uh, than our ways. And it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And notice verse 13, like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. So follow with me again. As the mother comforts the child, God says, I comfort you. As the father pities his children, so the Lord says, I pity you. Do you see how the Bible teaches that our view of God may be deepened and enriched by the way which our parents, or parents, the way you treat your children, or it can be tarnished or marred by the way you treat them as well. You see that from the Bible? Okay, so if that's the case, then how important it is for a parent to train their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, to discipline them when they need it, amen? Because the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 6, that whom the Lord chastens, he loves. So children, when your parents chasten you, praise the Lord. <laughs> you may not understand it at the moment, but you understand when you grow up, okay? 
uh, I find that it, there's, there's two, two responses. When my parents, when they, when, they, when they disciplined me, it had a different effect upon me when it did with my brothers, okay? But the thing is, discipline is a, a biblical concept, and I guess for some cultures, they take it to an extra extent. But um, <laughs> except it, it's in the Bible. But, you know, I, I think it's important that as parents that you don't abuse your power as well. There's, there's time to discipline. And I remember one of the pastors, he once shared this, that whenever he disciplined his children, when they did wrong, when they came to him, he actually tried to encourage them to come to a point where they were repent, uh, where, they, where they actually repented. And so the way that the, this parent did it, and once again, remember I'm telling you I'm not a parent. I'm just sharing with you what I've studied from the Word. And if I need chastening, come to me afterwards and chasten me as well. But what I learned from this pastor was that when his children made wrong, did wrong, he actually invited them to come to him. He would pray with them. And he would tell them, you, you know what you did wrong, right? And it was only when they acknowledged what they did was wrong, he prayed with them again, and then they went about their, their, their way. And so th- there are many ways in which parents, in which we can, manifest, uh, we can teach the, the character of God to our children. But um, God doesn't just want us to, to teach the character of God to our children, but even to your spouse as well, Okay. And in the Bible, if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5, man, you know, time goes so quick, hey, I, have so much, I haven't even gone to my, my second point, but man, I'll say that for another time. But I just want to turn with me to Ephesians, it's in the New Testament, one of the epistles of Paul, and I believe it's one of his prison epistles, you know, he wrote in the prison, um, and the book of Ephesians, notice chapter 5, that the character of God was not just to be taught to our children, but it was even also to be taught in between a husband and wife. Notice Ephesians 5 in verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 25. The Bible says there, Ephesians 5:25, Husbands, what your wives? You know, it says in the Greek, Husbands, agape your wives, just as Christ also agape the church and gave himself for her. So notice, once again, just as the mother comforts her children, God says, I comfort you. As the father pities the children, God says, I pity you. Now it's like husbands, just as you love your wives, Christ also loved the church. Do you see this interrelationship between the parents and the children and between the husband and the wife? I'll share a story with you of this. Um, <laughs> uh, when I was at college, um, I received a knock on my door. And uh, one of the theology students, he came to my house for advice. And so I was like, cool, yeah, come in. And so he said, no, 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 I want to take you out. So he took me out, and eventually I was in his car. It's like an hour and a half. He was talking with me. And guess what was the discussion? He was like, Finne, man, I want your advice. I said, yes, sure, I'll give you advice. And uh, he said, "Um, I'm going to get divorced. And then I sat there, and I looked at him, and I was like, out of all the theology boys you could have chosen, you chose the one that was single. <laughs> and I was like, I was the most unqualified, inexperienced person, and he came to me for advice. I was like, what do I tell you? I don't know if you've been in that situation before. I was, I was put in that situation, I looked at him, and I was like, man, this guy is not serious. And he was, he was being serious. And so I sat an hour and a half with him, trying to counsel with him, and by the end of it, he, like when he dropped me off, he was still the same. And so just before I got out of the car, and, and by the way, it, many of the theology students, many of them are married, right? So like, I'm being serious. I was like, man, he could have chosen any of them, 
but he chose the brother who was in his first year. And so he came to me, and when I got out, when, just before I got out of the car, he said, Finnick, could you pray for me? And I was like, okay, sure, I'll pray for you. So I was praying for him, and I was asking the Lord what to say, and I, I, I prayed the, the scriptures. We encouraged to pray the scriptures. Uh, and so I, I prayed Isaiah 53. And one of the texts in Isaiah 53 is, like a lamb led to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. And I quoted that, right, in my prayer. Just, just before I was going to leave, nothing happened. And once I said amen, I looked at him, and he was sobbing. And he was crying in the car. And I said, bro, what's wrong? And he said, that's the problem. And he was pointing at me. I was like, am I the problem? <laughs> he said, yeah, that's the problem. I said, am I the problem? He said, no, 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 that's the problem. Why you just prayed? I said, well, what's wrong? He said, you, you just prayed like, like Jesus, who was a, a lamb led to the slaughter. He opened up his mouth and he said, that's the problem. I said, what's that? He said, I don't know how to shut my mouth when I'm speaking to my wife. And then it dawned upon me. I said, oh, wow. His family was going to divorce because he did not know how to control his tongue. And so... And if you're in a situation like that, the thing is today, he, he, he had a, his, his family stood together, he had an extra child, but I share that story with you because the thing is, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's, it's reciprocal. It doesn't just happen between the husband and the wife, also the wife to the husband as well. We are to demonstrate the character of God, not just to our children, but even to our spouses. Can you say amen? Ah, oh, praise the Lord. And that's, that's God's desire. Why? Because God wants us to have a little heaven upon earth. And if we want a little heaven upon earth, I'll share a few more texts and then I'll finish because I know our time, I don't want to weary the saints. But I just want to share with this, uh, I want to end, come to an end with this, is that if that's the case, then how can you and I have heaven on earth? If heaven is something in the future, how can we have it in the present? Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And this story, uh, it, it refers to one of the most notorious tax collectors in the Bible. His name was Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And he climbed up into the sycamore tree and to see the Lord that he wanted to see. Beautiful song. This was Zacchaeus. And uh, he was a rich man, but the Bible says he sought the Lord. You know, I just want to say this. If you're rich, riches cannot satisfy you. Yes, he was very rich. Zacchaeus was very rich, and yet he still sought the Lord. Why? Because money cannot satisfy you. You know, the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God has placed eternity in our hearts. Do you know what that means? What that means is, if eternity is in your heart, if you try to fill it with something that is temporary, you will never be satisfied. And so whenever you try to fill it with, whether it be alcohol, whether it be sexual sin, whatever it may be, you always, always leave not satisfied. Why? Because God has set eternity in our hearts. And he did that with Zacchaeus. And he did that with everyone in this world. And so that's why he was rich. But though he was rich, he still sought the Lord. Jesus did say that it's hard for a rich man to enter into heaven. It's not impossible. It's hard. Why? Because God wants us to know where is your heart. Is it with Bitcoin? Is it with you know, all your finances and your money? Or is it with the Lord? Yeah? And so in, in, in Luke chapter 19, notice that when Jesus came to the sycamore tree and he spoke to Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 verse 5, Luke 19 just verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, 
he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide where? In your house. Okay, so notice Jesus doesn't just want to be a visitor in our homes. He wants to abide there. He wants to be the landlord of your life. And so what happened was, I remember I was talking about heaven once in a, in, a, uh, in a church, and I was talking about the streets of gold, and I talked about how if I don't get a mansion in glory, I'll be satisfied with the streets of gold, yeah? That's what I was kind of emphasizing in this church. And the senior pastor eventually came to me and he said, Finna, you know, heaven is not about all those things. I'm getting rebuked now. I'm getting rebuked. And, and you know, Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke. So I, I appreciate the rebuke. He said, it's not about all the gold and all that stuff. And I said, what is it about? He said, heaven won't be heaven if Jesus isn't there. And so what this text, what I, what I get from this is when Jesus said to Zacchaeus, let me abide in your house, it was like, I want heaven to be in your home. And so when he comes to Zacchaeus' home, you notice in verse uh, Zacchaeus, he, he, he gives to the poor and um, he gives them fourfold. And eventually in verse 9 and verse 10, it says, And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham, which he was. And verse 10 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, God's desire, if we want heaven on earth and heaven in our homes, we need to make sure that Jesus is in our homes. Yeah? And I know that at times we may get distracted, you know, and I'm not, I, yeah, I, I know parents, they, they make a, they do the best that they can, you know, best that they can to love their spouse, best that they can to love their children. But at the same time, I'm just presenting to you God's ideal, okay? I know at times that it may not be conducive, you know, you may have things in the home which is not, um, you know, conducive to your spirituality or, you know, sometimes you, you disagree with. But I want to encourage you that if Jesus is in our homes, then we can have a little heaven on earth. But you know, Jesus doesn't just want to be in our homes. Notice that the text says that Christ wanted to abide in Zacchaeus' home, right? Abide means to dwell, okay? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I'm coming to an end. I'm coming to an end. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And when you get there, you can say amen. It's in the New Testament, Ephesians, Galatians, then Ephesians, Ephesians. That's okay, that's okay. Ephesians chapter 3, very good. And notice verse 17. So Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I want to abide in your house. But it's possible that Jesus doesn't just want to dwell or abide in our homes, but also in verse 17, it says that Christ may dwell where? In your hearts. By what? By faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and, and to know the love of Christ. Do you see how our, our, our study is coming together? It's very beautiful. God, he doesn't just want to abide in our homes. He wants to abide in our hearts. Because as he abides in our hearts, you know, love cannot long exist without expression. You know that? That's what inspiration says. And so it's important that as we're going for our Sabbath school this morning, that, you know, love, it needs someone to love, someone to receive it as well. But at the same time, that love can be received or it can be rejected. But ultimately, God wants us to have a little heaven on earth. And he wants that for your homes as well. 
He wants the relationship between you and your wife, you and your, your, your husband, and you and your children. And if you're single, it's coming. Just keep praying. Okay? Just keep praying. <laughs> um, yeah, God, God wants us to have heaven on earth. He, wanted, he wants us to have a foretaste, sorry, I should say, a foretaste of heaven on earth so that when heaven does come, that you appreciate it so much the more. And so I just want to end with this story because I know that, um, you know, we live in a broken world and some of you this morning, you know, you may have come here this morning and your spouse is not with you. And I've been to multiple churches where that's the case. And I want to encourage you with this story as well. And then I'll share a Bible verse and then I'll finish. So I keep sharing these Bible verses because, you know, the Lord just... You know, gives me this Bible that I share with you, okay? But uh, I, just wanna, I just wanna end with this. Um, yeah, uh, there, there was, there's a story of um, these guys, they got together, they were out at the pub, they were drinking, and you know, I don't know if this is what men talk about because I've never been into a pub, but yeah, once again, I'm just sharing with you what I heard from this guy. He said they're out at the pub, they were drinking and all this stuff, and the men, you know, they, they started to talk amongst their, one another. I said, man, my wife, she's the best. I don't know if you've ever done that, husband. You know, my wife, she's the best. You know, she cleans my room. You know, she cooks for me. And, you know, that's what one husband said. The other husband said, yeah. man, no, no, my wife, she's, she's the best. Uh, she, she, she irons the clothes. She gets the, the kids ready to go, to go to school. And one of the guys said, no, 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 my wife, she is the best. And he said, why is that? He said, man, you know what? When we come, if you come to my home, she'll cook for you. She won't even, she won't even uh, you know, retaliate you know, if, you tell, you know, if you scream at her. And so he was like, really? He said, yeah, come to my house. So they go to the house, right? And they go to the house, and the, the wife opens the door. He said, honey, how are you? He said, oh, I'm well. And you know, the, the guys come into the home, and this guy is so rude, so rude. He was like, go make us food. And the guys are sitting around there, and the woman goes and makes food. And the guys are like, man, yeah, your wife, she's pretty good. She's, she's the best. And, and then after that, you know, the guy, very rude, says, how long is it going to take, honey? We, we, we're hungry. We want to eat. And he says, oh, it's coming, honey. Don't worry. I'm making food. You know, you know, if you've ever seen lunch before, you know, when it's made with love and not made with love, this lady was like, I want to make this food with love. Okay? And so she's making the food, and the guys are like, man, yeah, you're She's, she's pretty good. She's pretty good. And so she makes the food and eventually brings it out. And uh, yeah, the guy was like, okay, let's eat. They eat. And he's like, okay, clean it up. We're going to the pub again. So they, they go out. And they're like, man, your wife, she's the best. She's the best. And after this guy sobered down, eventually, he came back home. His wife's still cleaning up the home, making sure the dishes are clean. And the husband comes to the wife. And this is when he's sober, right? After, you know, the night out, comes back. Says to the wife, honey, said, yes, why are you so good to me? And the wife says, well, I figured that, you know, if you're not coming to heaven with me, that you might as well have a little heaven here on earth. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And so I want to I encourage you, if, that, if you are that wife this morning, if you, if you are that husband, you know, the Bible says, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, if they unbelieve, if they don't believe the word, they don't encourage you as well. She says, you know, be in subjection as it is fit in the Lord, Colossians 3.18 says. But, you know, she says that you can win them over without the word. 
It's powerful. First Peter chapter 3, you go read it. I'll say it again. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, that they may be one without the word. It's a powerful thought. Some, sometimes your spouse doesn't need a Bible study. Sometimes all they need is what has the Bible done for you. And just like this lady, even though, you know, this guy tried to do everything to kind of bring her down, she recognized, you know what? If you're not coming with me to heaven, I want to give you just a, a foretaste of what heaven will be like. And I know that for some of us, it may be difficult, but I want you to hang in there. I want you to hang in there. I want you to keep praying for him, praying for her. And in God's time, you'll be like, Viti, come up here and you share a testimony. And we won't be able to stop you. Okay? We won't be able to stop you. But just know that God's desire for each and every one of us is that we would have a little heaven on earth. And so as I, as I finish, uh, heads bowed, eyes closed. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you because, Father, we recognize we have nowhere else to go. Lord, you know that you love us with an everlasting love. And many times we may not have demonstrated that, Father, in our own homes. But we pray that, Father, today, by God's grace, that you may help us to be better parents to our children, to help us to be better children to our parents, to be better husbands to our wives, to be better wives to our husbands. And I also pray even for those who may have come here alone and their spouses are at home, but they're praying for them. Lord, I just want to uplift them to you, Lord. Encourage them, Father, and strengthen them, Father, during this time. And that, Father, when you come, that when we see Jesus in all his glory, that we may experience heaven in its totality, in its fullness. But we thank you, Lord, that you've given us this message this morning, that you want us to have a little heaven on earth. And so we pray that Jesus may not just be in our homes, but that Jesus may ultimately be in our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayer. We leave our life in your hands, and we thank you that you have heard us. For we ask all these things in Jesus' holy name. message was made available by the Ride Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page, 3AM Ride Seventh-day Adventist Church.
Fountain View Academy sang Love at Home. We hope you enjoy the short presentation of how God led His people after the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. Michael Tchaikovsky is an interesting character who tends to divide opinion. He was educated for the priesthood in his native Poland, but had to flee the country on the back of a hay-covered wagon because the monastery that he was a part of had gotten involved in national politics. He was later imprisoned in Rome, then was an exile in France for three years before he came here to Switzerland, where he renounced the priesthood, got married, and then headed across to the United States of America. There he converted first to Protestantism and then later on in Finley, Ohio, to Adventism. Having an ex-Catholic priest amongst the church attracted a lot of attention and frequent mentions in the Review and Herald. He worked near the Canadian border with the French settlers before moving to New York City where he worked with the French, Hungarians, Italians, Poles and Swedes and raised a congregation in Brooklyn. James White found him a difficult person to work with, a stubborn character who liked to march to the beat of his own drum. He longed to go back to Europe though and pleaded unsuccessfully with the brethren to send him. He was seen as being too rash, sometimes difficult to work with and not good at handling money. He received several letters from Ellen White that both commended him and counseled him. She urged him not to mark out his own course, but to wait for the counsel of the brethren. Soon after this, he went to a camp meeting organized by the Advent Christian Church and told them of his desire to go back to Europe and they agreed to sponsor him. In 1864, he came over and went to Northern Italy where he worked near Torre Pilizzi for 14 months. He then came here to Switzerland where he worked for about three years and baptized around 40 believers. He raised up several churches, the main one being here in Tramalan. It was organized in 1867 and is the first Sabbath-keeping Adventist church that was organized outside of North America. However, Tchaikovsky had not told the new believers that they were part of a larger church in North America. But one of the believers here in Tramalan found a copy of the Review and Herald in Tchaikovsky's belongings and began correspondence with the church in America. The first letter that he sent was simply addressed, Adventist, Battle Creek. And as it began correspondence, it caused much joy to the church in America to hear of the Sabbath-keeping Adventists in faraway Switzerland. He would later run into financial difficulties, both with the press that he had mortgaged and with the Advent Christian Church, who eventually found out that while they were sponsoring him, he was evangelizing with a different message to the one that they held to, and the sponsorship was dropped. He would go on to work in France, Germany, Hungary, and then in Romania, where he raised up another group of converts. He died of exhaustion at the age of 57 in 1876.
His legacy is a mixed one. Many of his converts were of the highest quality who will go on to make a significant impact in the church in Europe. He was a hard worker who preached the gospel in new places, but he had some administrative flaws and character flaws that left their mark on the work and those he came in contact with. God did bless his preaching, but the story of his life poses the question, what if? May we listen to the counsel of our colleagues. May we adhere to the inspired counsel and may we work in harmony with the brethren as we forward God's work. To view more episodes in the series, visit lineagejourney.com. It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.